you know the, the biggest mistake I made in my last rest week? Um, I've got a few niggles that I'm working through, so I allowed even more time for them to recover and just did rehab. But I thought, oh, I'll, uh, I'll do some weighted mobility. Like, I'm feeling good. It's nice and warm. And I had the worst doms in my legs I've had in ages from that. My hamstrings were killing me. And I was just thinking, oh, God, you've, you're going to go into the next week just feeling awful now because <laughs> you've tried to add something in again. So, like I said, novel stimulus is fine, but try and keep the intensity low. And don't go mad because you've got extra energy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Ask Lattice. So it's me and Ollie again on the sofa and today we're covering the five biggest mistakes made by climbers. So this was a sort of Instagram post that, that Tom had written and actually we got like an overwhelming amount of comments on this kind of asking loads more questions about what these five points were and how we can kind of correct them as climbers. So today we're going to go through those five points and then I'm going to be asking Ollie for his interpretation of how we can correct these as climbers and make the most of our own training. I, uh, I haven't seen these five points yet so I'm hoping Tom hasn't dropped us in it too much. No I'm sure it'll be fine. So we've got uh, the first one being training fingerboarding or camping at the end of a session so this being a mistake climbers are making. So what should we be doing if not fingerboarding or camping at the end of a session? I think, uh, I think the key thing here is not so much the specifics behind fingerboarding and camping at the end of the session, it's more of doing the highest intensity focus work at the end of the session. So yeah, the, the important bit is the, the intent behind those sessions. So you might see a lot of professional climbers out there who are camping and fingerboarding at the end of the session, but it's the understanding of how they're doing it and why. So for me, it's all about intensity and quality of movement. So in terms of generally, if finger strength and power is your, so power being campus, that's contact strength. So catching holds and pulling through large movements. If that is the priority in your training, it needs to come earlier on in your session because that's when you only have the most focus, the best skin, and you're going to be able to provide the highest quality in that effort. So Maximal fingerboarding is really, really intense on the fingers and maximal campus boarding is very intense on your muscles in terms of providing a lot of power and a lot of contact strength. So if you do that in a fatigued state, so if you're going to have a two-hour bouldering session or even an hour bouldering session, the quality of your fingerboarding and campsing is going to reduce and therefore the things you take away from those is going to be a lot less. So if you want to prioritize those, they need to be at the start of the session. The difference now is that what we're often seeing is people are doing a lot of warm-up, they're climbing with their friends, which is great, and they're focusing on movement, but then they're going to try and do the quality session at the beginning of their, their training, which they class as just the fingerboarding and camping. So your entire session classes as the training session, so you've got to see it as fingerboarding and camping needs to come at the beginning of that training session after a warm-up, not at the beginning of the training bit of the session if that makes sense yeah 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 so why do i think you can sometimes fingerboard in camps afterwards and tom might uh tell me off for saying this if he disagrees but we all disagree at points is um actually if you're doing a lower intensity and i know tom's actually on board with this because we've done it ourselves is if you're focused on climbing movement and you're trying to have a really intense bouldering session but you feel like you've reached that point where you're getting diminishing returns on maximal effort, 
you can continue that effort on the fingerboard or canvas board if it is submaximal because it's a controlled movement like loading your fingers slowly on a fingerboard is a lot safer than doing big dynamic moves on a bouldering wall but the thing is you've got to take into account that pre-fatigue so if you go into fingerboard and canvas board it's to provide an additional stimulus to what you've done earlier on not to be a new stimulus and a high intensity does that make sense? Yeah, perfect. I don't really have anything to add. I think you've yeah. nail on head. So, yeah, if you focus on high-intensity bouldering and movement, you can fingerboard in campus afterwards, but don't do it after a huge amount of time because you shouldn't be bouldering for that long anyway and keep the intensity much lower. If you're focused on finger strength and power, campus board and fingerboard at the beginning of the session and do your other stuff afterwards. I would always generally say, anyway, try and do your fingerboarding and campus and bouldering on different days if they're all really intense and full sessions. The only caveat to that is when you mix them up a little bit, as you've seen in some of our earlier YouTube videos. Yeah. Hopefully. Pretty much there's loads of ways of doing this, but they're the general rules to follow. Nice. Okay, so the second one was resting. And, and this is, I mean, quite a general term. <laughs> but by resting, uh, I think what the most interesting things we've brought out of what we're hearing from the public in this was understanding what a rest week was so how often we have a rest week what do we do in a rest week and why do i need to rest at all so um rest weeks are one the week is an arbitrary amount of time and it's based on people's regular working schedule so we always say a week because people generally have a more regular week with a weekend and a working week as well if you're a full-time athlete you can change up this sort of paradigm of a week and you use sort of set periods of time because at the end of the day it's more rest periods which are key if we're talking about weeks we hear a lattice tend to use either a two to one up to a five to one so two weeks of training and loading so it goes up and up and then one week of deload which is your rest week and a deload rest week is got to be around 50 percent of the volume and or intensity or over workload of one of the loading weeks so the key thing here, which I think a lot of people missed or maybe even got concerned about, was that you can do climbing. You can do some training in a, in a deload week or a rest week, whatever you want to call it. So don't worry, it's, you're allowed to do some climbing. But the key is that you're just taking a step back from what you're normally doing to push for that adaptation. Is just like if you do a training session, you can't just do a training session every day, day after day. You need to have some time to come off and, and rest and recover and bounce back. And the same applies to that more chronic workload. So after three weeks of training, take a week just to dial it back a bit. Yeah, it's kind of the the rule of that um, real basic format is that super compensation. So if we have a really hard training day, if you try to train the next day, then you're going to be still fatigued. So if you rest the next day and then train the day after or even the day after that, your body's going to have this really adaptive um, large stimulus that's going to tell it it needs to get better you're going to have a day of your body going oh i need to improve because if i'm made to do this again then i need to be prepared for it so your body improves and then you're going to be ready for the next training stimulus if you don't give that training stimulus in a frequent enough time then your body's going to go back to normal so the idea is to give it frequent enough that it's going to want to get better because it's going to have this stimulus coming your way but not too often so that you don't actually have time to recover. That rest week is effectively the same thing, but in a more prolonged way. So it's your chance to regenerate 
and make sure that your body's given time to make sure that it's getting ready for this training stimulus because you're going to have a build-up of fatigue week after week and you need this time to sort of allow your body to catch up. However, like Josh said, if you don't do anything, the likelihood is you're going to come back to your next training week and feel really sluggish and quite off. Your skin might be quite bad as well and even your movement might be a little bit off. So you can still do it, but I would generally advise doing at least half of the load that what you did in the previous week. So that means if I did four two-hour sessions at the wall, I'm going to do two two-hour sessions at the wall instead. And that's just going to be similar intensity, but it just gives me so much more time in the week to re recover. And I think that's a, quite a nice little rule to use. So if you usually climb four days a week, just try and climb two days a week on that rest week. If, you try, if you're climbing more than that, obviously drop it half. Or if you fancy climbing more frequently in that rest week, just reduce the grade significantly. So it's much, much easier. Yeah. But like you said, if you don't do any climbing, one of the big complaints we see is people having a rest week and coming back and feeling even worse than they were at the end of their training phase. That is normal, definitely normal. I, I get asked this all the time is, if I have a rest week, I feel worse the week after. That's totally fine. All it is is your body's coming out of this recovery phase and it usually takes a couple of days of climbing to get back in the swing of things. So if that happens, it's totally fine. Just don't treat it as a bad thing and just keep making sure you're doing those regular rest weeks. Cool. I'd say one mistake I see around rest, rest weeks as well is uh, if you're asking someone to take a rest week, you might say take 50% of your normal training load. But this doesn't mean it's an opportunity to then like go outside and project because I think in rest weeks people can be feeling particularly well like I'm not doing any training my skin's good like I'm still doing a little bit of climbing and I'm feeling really fresh now and then they go out and project and they do something that's really high intensity it's really key that in a deload week you're not just dropping back the volume you drop dropping back the intensity as well so yeah try not to project on a deload week and if you are climbing outside as part of your training or you're training outside it's it's key to also just take a step back from the difficulty of the roots or the boulders you're trying that week. Yeah, and I think I'd add in like novel stimulus to that as well. So if I'm training for bouldering and then I go out in my wrestling and say, I'm going to go just trad climbing and do some easier on sighting. For me, I, uh, this might be personal, but I get really gripped when I'm on sighting. So it's a new stimulus. I'm on the wall for much longer than I've been training for. And I'm going to be walking in. I'm going to be carrying a heavy pack. All of that adds in quite a lot. It's kind of like, you know, normal office work. If you do four, like throughout the year, you need holiday periods and it's because you're getting gradually tired of being in the office every day. So you need this time just to go away, recover and come back to the office refreshed. So see, that, see it as like, this is what you would do with your normal holiday. So have some time off, allow your body to catch up with you and be kind to your body. And it will sort of pay dividends in the long run. The people that don't do it are the ones that tend to come out injured or plateau for much longer. I think something that you reminded me of there as well was deload weeks can also be really useful for breaking up the monotony of training and like bringing back your motivation. So just like with holidays, if you're just feeling a bit worn down uh, and like perhaps you're losing motivation, you're losing a bit of that psych, taking a week off just to like step back, just, you know, refocus and get back into training the week after can be really good for your psych just to go back mm -hmm. in with that intensity and, and feel psyched about it again. Do you know the, the biggest mistake I made in my last rest week? No. So if anyone's been following our uh, social media stuff, you'll see that Josh has done loads of flexibility recently and doing like weighted mobility, which is pretty intense. And I'd done some work with Josh for a couple of months um, 
I think at the end of last year. Uh, I can't even remember what month it is now. At the start of this year as well. And what I did in my last rest week, I had some time off climbing. And I've got a few niggles that I'm working through, so I allowed even more time for them to recover and just did rehab. But I thought, oh, I'll, uh, I'll do some weighted mobility. Like, I'm feeling good. It's nice and warm. And I had the worst doms in my legs I've had in ages from that. My hamstrings were killing me. And I was just thinking, oh, God, you've, you're going to go into the next week just feeling awful now because you've tried to add something in again. So, like I said, novel stimulus is fine, but try and keep the intensity low. And don't go mad because you've got extra energy. Yeah, yeah. Don't be filling it up with other stuff. Uh, okay, so on to the third point then. Uh, and this is overworking or maybe like uh, non-functional overreaching, like call it, so doing too much. Um, we see climbers doing this all the time, maybe like it's within a session, maybe you leave the gym because you have no skin left and you're just exhausted. Uh, or perhaps you're training six days a week and you're just doing far too much too, too frequently. How do, we, what, what, how do we take a step back from that? I think the, the key thing on this is it, we see this a lot with like really good climbers. They can push themselves to this level of walking away with exhaustion. And unfortunately, it's a bit of a make or break thing, I think, still, where some climbers will be able to cope with that and others won't. Personally, I think a big component of the people that are able to push themselves to their death in every session and really maximize their time what you don't see is a lot of these climbers that are full-time climbers that are really getting the most out of their bodies. They don't particularly have to work as much the rest of the time or they have much more simple lives the rest of the time. So they're literally at home chilling out or doing not much else going on. And I think that's the bit we miss out on. So if you've ever heard of like read about the Kenyan runners, they are either running and pushing themselves really hard in big groups or they're just chilling out and living a really simple lifestyle and trying to relax the rest of the day, getting ready for the next run. And I think a lot of really good athletes do that. But what we tend to see here is that a lot of our climbers that we work with are trying to push themselves to exhaustion, like Josh said, walking away when their skin's given up. But then, you know, they've got to go home to families, they've got jobs, they're really busy the rest of the time. So they've not got that big disparity in try hard and relax. They're kind of like try hard. And then the rest of their life's pretty full on as well. So for us, it's all about quality. You really need to do less sessions in the week. And you can really push yourself. Or if you're going to be more frequent, is making sure that you're walking away with the right amount of fatigue so that you can recover ready for the next session. Yeah, yeah. I'd say also experimenting with shorter sessions, but more frequent sessions. So if you are like doing these really long sessions, try breaking up or either keeping the sessions very focused so on, on just one thing if you're going to go train strength and power just go train that rather than mixing a load of things together if you are just it's trashing you and you're not able to cope with that kind of volume um but like ollie said i think the main thing there is understanding that you probably have a lot more going on in your life like if it's family life looking after kids early mornings maybe your sleep's disrupted because of stress at work and stuff and then going to try and train like an elite athlete it's it doesn't balance out at the end of the day and that's just where yeah most people are doing far too much i'd say my, my one of my top tips on this then is board climbing most people i know do it for too long unless they're following a structured plan or a structured session so two hours three hours on a board is too long in my opinion the quality is always going to go down unless you change the structure of the session so my best case scenario is 
you want to build up in the board session to trying harder problems you need to choose a set amount of harder problems or put a timer on your phone for a set time i personally think 30 minutes to 45 minutes of high intensity and then you need to look if you want to stay on the board at doing more repetitions so either boulder doubles or triples or doing a certain amount of easier climbs but you need to pyramid that intensity throughout a longer session if you want to just focus on high quality cut the session shorter than you want to if you walk away kind of a bit like still got a bit of energy and you want to stay on there then that's a good sign because most of the problems i see are when people are on boards or project style climbing for too long and i've seen that with professional climbers and amateurs alike yep cool so uh, we'll move on to the next one then yeah. Uh, so number four is junk mileage in your specialization. So if, if you're doing a certain discipline or perhaps it's a certain style you really like doing, just doing loads of mileage in that. So what is junk mileage, I guess? It's a good place to start. So I guess junk mileage in like a lot of other sports, what you might have heard this being called is, is that intensity which is really applicable to the event that you're doing and it's doing it too early in the season. So. You might have seen this say, if we took uh, cycling into account here and you were looking at that high intensity aerobic power sort of effort of trying really, really hard. If you did that all the time, you're not gonna be working at those base level low intensities or that high intensity, so that polarization. So junk miles is, is pretty much more specific to the intensity and the style of the event you wanna perform. Like Josh just said, if we use junk, miling, junk mileage in climbing, uh, so we take a lead climb and you want to perform on something around a really pumpy 30 meter sport climb it's doing loads and loads of your training on pumpy 30 meter sport climbs the reason why it's junk or classed as junk is if you did that all the time you're not going to be developing the finger strength to do harder moves and you're not going to be developing the endurance to last longer and do longer climbs and you're not going to be able to bring those two components together to perform at better at that 30 meters closer to the time so does that make sense? Yeah, 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 right? perfectly. Okay. I, I think you're right. It's, it's people understanding, I think maybe looking at training a bit too simplistically and saying, I want to perform well at 30 meter sport climbs. How do I get better at that? Well, I guess I just have to do loads of 30 meter sport climbs. And I think this is the fastest way to hit a plateau in training is just doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah, and you'll see, what you'll often see is people that, uh, their performance will go up by this training doing like power endurance and then it'll dip down and it'll go up and down up and down and a lot of the time you can put that down to other aspects and a lot of people feel a bit frustrated and they'll try a four-week training plan of this style and they'll improve and then they'll start to decrease with fatigue and um, the reason for that is what you're doing is you've got your sort of pyramid of performance sort of like um, which like it's made up of a base performance and this peak so this is maximizing your base and all you're doing is changing the shape of this top bit so you're not developing those base components which give you a larger base to get a larger peak from later on so hopefully um, that's clear enough but if you develop the base throughout the year at different periods you can play around with the peak with more specific uh, junk mileage close to the time so I would I would class junk mileage as specific mileage, but it just needs to be, you know, used at the right time of year. Yeah. So for those people that feel, I guess, are doing too much junk mileage, um, what we're saying is, is take a step back from that and try and develop your base year on year. Make sure you're putting dedicated time into your, your yearly overview, your yearly plan of what you're doing and building out that base year on year. What, what's your junk mileage? Um, 
my junk mileage is like boulder mileage I think kind of that middle ground of like bouldering is fun but sort of not taking enough recovery to actually have quality attempts and try hard boulders so I spend a lot of time doing things around flash level and just doing like boulder like you know when a new circuit set in the gym you're just like oh, I'm gonna try and do all of these new boulders in the gym but doing that too frequently like I'm not I'm not working on true strength and power and having like those good quality like board sessions like you said um and i'm also not working on the the fitness element of it or just like bringing it down and working on skill base and and trying to do eliminates and playing around with things like that yeah i, th- I think for me i'd probably spend i fall into that trap of uh, maybe doing my aerobic capacity like it creeps up the intensity a bit too high sometimes mm-hmm. and i kind of enjoy that more fighting kind of zone and doing interval aerobic capacity which if you're a boulder or someone who used to boulder and find sport climbing quite hard to stay on the wall and stay pumped for a long time, one-on-one off and interval stuff is um, effectively the easiest thing that you can do because you get to try hard and then step away from the wall. When actually, if I was really you know, focused on what I need to do, I need to be on the wall for a lot longer. So interval aero cap and more intense, so or like longer aero power is a bit junk mileage for me because... I need to either be on the wall for much, much longer to get used to it, or I need to be doing focused attempts on much shorter sort of actual climbing, which replicates what I'm trying to do close to the time. So yeah, any any boulders out there, if you want to get into sport or trad, stay on the wall for as long as possible and don't start doing these intervals because it's a cop out. I think you've just reflected on, on how you need to improve your trad climbing there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I just started trad climbing again and I've just realized that, God, you have to be on the wall for such a long time. And I don't know if there's anyone seen what I've done recently. I, I've put some pictures up on my Instagram where I'm doing traversing on my feet quite a lot because something that we find a lot is you can see the boards behind us. We're guilty of this as much as anyone. We've got a 20 degree, a 30 and a 45. And a lot of us train on this angle because it's really good for the forearms. But for me, getting into trad climbing at the moment again and doing some longer, bigger walls type stuff which is pretty much about 10 degree overhanging to five degree slab is is so much on your feet that you need to be on your feet and get much, much stronger foot muscles and your toes need to get used to that sort of ability to stand on them for a long time. So spending time on here trying to get fit is probably classed in that junk mileage zone because that's not specific enough. I'll be on the jugs too much when actually it needs to be on much smaller holds and working my big toes because that's what I'm going to be on later on this year. So, yeah, another little tip is be specific on the type of mileage that you're doing as well. So, I mean, that segues quite nicely into the last point here. Uh, And this one is uh, climbing on the same angle terrain (laughs) too much. So you may have just covered this pretty well, but I think the point Tom was making here is people probably gravitate towards a style of climbing they prefer or like um, feels most specific to them. But I think Tom's saying we need to spend more time varying the terrain we're on, probably due to skill development. But you just mentioned how it can be very related to energy system development and fitness. Yeah, and you think about uh, the position of your forearm muscles, for example, on a small crimp on a vertical wall, you might only get the same amount of pump as doing a big open hold on a steeper board on a jug like this, uh, on jugs like this on a steeper board. But the pump feels the same but the muscle contribution is very different and it is specific to your goals so even if you get really really fit on jugs on a steeper board 
it will translate a bit, but it won't do quite the same as doing smaller holds for a longer period on a less steep angle. Um, and like I said just previously, it's all about what you're training for. So we see so many people these days training on steep boards. And realistically, let's go through the reasons why we're all doing this. One, it's very intense with our fingers. Two, it's what all the pros seem to do. And three, you make pretty good gains pretty quickly. So the thing with the pros doing it is a lot of professional climbers climb on loads of different angles and they often perform on not that steep overhanging terrain. If you think about all the people that you look up to or your local climbing areas. And the reason why they're on boards is because that's the stuff they need to do in the training because they're doing so much outdoor climbing on the other angles. So in training, they just need to do the high intensity stuff because they're already doing loads of mileage on the different angles. But unfortunately, the loads of us that don't get out quite as often, we start training just as much on those steeper angles, but we're not getting the mileage outdoors on the other angles. So I think this is where there's a bit of disparity in media. And then the same thing again in terms of like finger strength is we're going to get much stronger fingers on that angle and get much, much stronger. But if your already, fingers are already strong enough, and you can check that on uh, my fingers on the website, is maybe you need to become more specific or better at moving on the, the less steep angles if that's what you're performing on. Like we see loads of people around here in Sheffield training on steep boards all the time and then going outdoors to climb on just off vertical limestone. You need to have a mixture of both. If you're not getting the mileage on that vert, try and add it in a bit more. Yeah, I think it also comes down to uh, like stepping out of your comfort zone a bit. Um, I think people will always gravitate towards something that they feel they perform best on because it's really rewarding and it's a bit of an ego boost. Um, but if you want to be a better well-rounded climber, whether it's bouldering or sport climbing, you're always going to find sections of a route which vary in different angle because everything's so variable terrain outside where inside it's usually just very consistent with whatever you're climbing on. And that's because it's ergonomic and it's how setters like to set. But I think you need to step out of your comfort zone. You need to spend time varying your movement skills because whether you know it or not, it's, it's really progressing how well you are uh, skilled as a climber in that well-rounded idea. Um, yeah, and like you can be as specific as you want when you're on holidays and when you're trying to perform and people do just want to be really good at one style and that's absolutely fine, but it will really help if you just play around with other styles as well and it'll help your body stay a bit more balanced as well. I would say get more specific close to the time when you want to perform, but it's really good being an all-round climber. Someone that I, I really look up to, uh, Dave McLeod, he's, he's brilliant on all angles. And you think about the amount of stuff he's done on vertical and just off, off vertical trad climbing terrain, but then he spends a lot of his time bouldering on roofs. But in guarantee, he gets a massive variety of rock types and movement in throughout the year, and that's why he can transition so well. People that don't get that variety in are going to find it much harder to transition from discipline to discipline. So I think the more you want to transition, the more variety you need to get throughout the year. And the less you want to transition between styles and rock types, uh, you can have a longer specific period leading into the peak, but still keeping that mixture just to keep your body healthy and your movement skills up to top level. Yeah, cool. I think we'll, we'll leave it there then. That was really good. Um, I think like... Like Tom made a point with those posters, these are things that most of us are probably guilty of doing. Like even we just admitted, even though we know it, we're still doing junk mileage in these areas. It's kind of hard to, to get away from, but maybe something you can do is just write it down, plan it out. 
even if you're not planning ahead, maybe write down what your week currently looks like. Do you think you're doing too much? Experiment with doing less. Are you always climbing in the same areas? Just have a think about what you're doing in these things and reflect on what your climbing looks like. And just remember there's always exceptions to the rules, but it doesn't mean that you need to follow an exception just because it stands out. And you need to look at patterns of behavior. Like Josh said, just because you make a mistake doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. You just need to look at the overall pattern of what you're doing and then address the overall pattern of behavior, not just the individual circumstances. All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll see you again next time. And if you enjoyed this content, don't forget to like and subscribe. See ya. Thank you.